0: Man, powerful morning already. We'll just call it good there, huh? <laughs> My name is Derek Murphy. I'm uh, one of the, uh, the teachers here, and I uh, oversee our, our small group ministries and, and all that. And so, hey, it's so good to be here today. It's good to be here with you, K2 family. Uh, we're glad that you're here. The, the thing that we're going through today, this week, and uh, the next series is we're talking about life's ups and downs. And don't we know that this is the truth of life? We have ups and we have downs and we're, we're walking through a story of a man named David. And uh, he was uh, the second king of Israel. And, and today we're actually going through the story of David before he was officially crowned king and, uh, and, and the person of Goliath, this giant, right? And, and Mark already alluded to this part of the story. This, and, and today the, the title of the sermon is opposition right this is what we're facing david is facing opposition and as we were putting together these series these sermons uh, we were looking at we were like picking hand picking stories of that seemed like ups for david and downs for david right so we could actually connect with him and we could connect these stories into our own life and this story of david and goliath was actually one of the ups that we picked but I started reading and researching for this sermon, and you look at it, and like an epiphany happened. It's like this: most of this story does not feel like an up for David, right? It's like it feels definitely like a down. He is facing a foe that's much bigger, much stronger, much formidable than him. He was Goliath was uh, was killing. It says Saul says he was killing men since the time he was a youth, and you are buddy youth, David. This story of David and Goliath, you know, you have all the, 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 the nation of Israel. They're, they're shaking in fear for 40 days while Goliath comes out and taunts the armies every day and every night. This is what's going on, and, and David, in order to reach the ups, right, in order to reach his life potential, in order to reach the highs of where God wants to take him, the epiphany that I had is that you actually have to go through that opposition in order to get there, right? So, the, the, the place in which I'm taking you today is that I want to tell you that life's highs lie on the other side of opposition. That's just the truth of life. It's the truth of who we are. You know, you can, you can say, it's all right, Dave, Dave Nelson, he starts out every season with the, with the Lions saying they're undefeated, Right? And there, actually, this season, it, it almost got to that point last week, right? But it doesn't matter if you say at the beginning of the season before you play any football game that you're undefeated, right? What matters is if you get to the end of the season and you're still undefeated, then that's, you're saying something, right? It's like life, the, the highs that you're going to reach are actually going to come on the other side of facing opposition and walking through the other side. So we're going to talk about how we actually come through on the other side. And I felt like this week I had, I had quite the opposition come up against me. Uh, I got a proud dad moment. I, our, we had our third child. Uh, yeah. Our son, uh, Jameson, here, Jameson Lee Murphy, right there. And uh, he was born 10 days ago. And six of his, the six, first six days of his 10 days of life, spent in the the NICU uh, he, he had gotten some, some uh, fluid in his lungs and he had to go through uh, just time to get recovered and and to get his lungs filled up with air and get oxygen in there right and it was six days that were just a struggle for me and I, I know that I was going through opposition but I, I as I've sat and I've reflected I think I I totally missed the point of what God was trying to do with me while I was there. I thought I was there to try to get my son out of the NICU, right? It's like I was trying to get him out as fast as I possibly could even because they have all these these rules. Like you get into a place like that and you lose all your freedoms. And so I started to get frustrated because they have rules and, and milestones that you have to hit. They don't tell you. And and then you don't, you don't get to decide whether or not you get to take your child home or not. They, they get to tell you when you get to do that. And you don't know when that's going to be. And so I started to, you know, really just power up and and, and just push to make this happen and, and to just be my son's advocate, to try to bring him home as fast as I possibly could. And now that I'm looking back and I'm realizing what God was actually trying to do is he actually wanted, was trying to teach me a lesson uh, that he wanted me to learn what it was like to submit myself to someone else and to give up all my freedoms and to just be there to care for my family. Because I, I pushed myself to the point of exhaustion, I pushed myself to the point in which I, was, I, was, uh, I wasn't eating or sleeping or, 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 and I was stressing out because I was trying to have my son that I couldn't control. Uh, meet these expectations that they had. And I got to the point where last Saturday night, I I started to get that place where I was, you know, that that feeling where you're like, I'm going to get sick. Uh, You guys ever felt that? You know you're going to get sick. And I'm like, I can't be sick and be with my son in the NICU. So that Sunday morning, I went home and I spent, or that Saturday, I went home and I spent 36 hours taking as much liquids and herbal teas and vitamins as I possibly could and to be with my other kids and to get as much rest and as much sleep as I possibly could so I could get back and get back into the NICU on Monday so we could take him home on Tuesday. It was, uh, it, it was one of those struggles of opposition and doing it all on my own strength I realized that it, it wasn't possible right and I had the wrong focus and I don't need to convince you I think that Life is full of those types of moments, right? We all face those things where we come up against opposition. We come up against those things in which that we, we have to go and decide what kind of person we are. But the truth of the matter is, is that your life's ups do lie on the other side of your opposition. And your potential lies on the other side of your enemy. David wasn't known as a giant killer until he brought down Goliath. You know, but you know what happens when you close your eyes and you hope that everything goes away, all your problems goes away, you know what happens on the other side of that? Nothing, right? If you close your eyes and nothing, nothing happens because your problems are still there when you open them back up. And I realized this when I was facing, I was 29 years old. It was January and everybody's setting their goals and I was looking at 30 years old that year. And, uh, and I realized that I was about 30 pounds heavier than I wanted to be. And I was a pastor, and I didn't have uh, spiritual disciplines set up like I should. And I was making little compromises that would, if, if they continued, could potentially take down my ministry. And I realized, God, I, I see this man that I think I'm becoming, but all my, my pathway is not headed there. I need to change course. I need to change direction. I can't stop. I can't just keep burying my head in the sand and expecting that I'll become this sort of man when I'm doing these sort of things, right? You can't have uphill aspirations and downhill habits. That's just not the way that life works. A fight has to come. Opposition has to come. And on the other side, you get to decide what kind of person you are. And that's what David shows us in this story. And so I'm gonna go ahead and read to you some of the story. It comes out of 1 Samuel 17, and, and this is not gonna be on the screen. I just want you to listen to it, okay? Uh, so if you wanna close your eyes, you can. Um, and, and we're gonna look at what this passage is trying to teach us about who our enemy is and what sort of battle we are in. Uh, 1 Samuel 17 says this, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled in Soko in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephesdamim between Soko and Azekah. So there's, there's five valleys, real quick, just to explain. There's five valleys that make their way up from the coastland of, of the Mediterranean up to Jerusalem. And if you want to come and you want to take out Jerusalem, the, the Philistines were on the coast coastal area. And they they had to come up one of those five valleys to go ahead and take it. So this is just saying that the enemy came on to Israel's turf. They came for them. They came into one of these valleys. And Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. And drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He wore a bronze helmet on his head and wore a a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and bronze javelin was slung upon his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So this is the picture that we have. And I think this this picture is really interesting. And and here's the thing is that the the first point that we have here is that you are in a battle. Just like the nation of Israel here was in a battle. And here's the deal is that it wasn't just any battle. The battle actually came onto their turf. And the battle that we're fighting here is uh, not just like in, in David's time here, this is, this is actual physical battle that's taking place, but there's a, there's a spiritual battle that's taking place, and the enemy is going to come after you, and so this, this first point, verses one through three is just that you are, you're in a battle, and if you're in a battle and you don't know that you're in a battle, you are not in a good spot, right? It's like if you're out at war and there's bullets flying above you and you're not prepared to be at war, uh, you're in trouble. Right, and so I just want to tell you, if we're going to face life's oppositions and come out on the other side, the first thing we all need to realize is that we're actually fighting a battle. Each one of us, we can't just bury our head in the sand and pretend like opposition is going to go away. We have to realize that we are in this battle. And and verses four through through seven describe the enemy that David was about to have. This was. The man by the name of Goliath, right, and he's a giant, and he's huge, and he's got he's got bronze armor on, and he's got spears that are humongous, and this is his enemy, and the the, the truth is, is this this is actually a really interesting story because this guy is described as having a coat of scale armor, uh, and he has a helmet that's that weighs six hundred shekels, and he has a uh, or that's his, what is his point of the spear uh, weighs. And let's see, his, he was six cubits tall, right? And, and if you look at the book of Chronicles, he had a brother who had six fingers, right? And so if this is common knowledge, this scripture passage is saying that this guy had the number of 666, right? And so he's being described as having scale, armor, right? That's kind of a, a weird way to describe a man. This writer is, is setting us up and teeing us off to say this is this enemy, this enemy isn't just any enemy. This is the epitome of evil that David is facing, right? And as we look this, at this passage and we try to take away our own points from this scripture, we have to realize that we're facing something. We're, we actually have an enemy, and we can pretend like we don't, but we actually have an enemy. And if this is this is setting up a picture that looks a whole lot like the garden, right, where you have this serpent, this, this scales, right, that's slithering around, and he's telling lies, and he's trying to deceive. And, and this is, we, we, we have an enemy, and this enemy is trying to deceive us. And the battlefield is actually for our mind. This is, we have a battle, we have an enemy. This enemy is known as the deceiver, the father of lies, the scriptures tell us that when he speaks his native tongue is lies. And the battlefield we're, we're facing is for our mind and his chief, his chief tool in the battle is lie. He's gonna lie to you, he's gonna deceive you, he's gonna try to get you off course. And so this is the type of stage in which uh, this, this story is telling us. It's like if we're going to fight, if we're gonna get onto the other side of opposition successfully, we need to put ourselves in this sort of frame of thinking that, that actually there's, there's something powerful happening here and we need to understand that we're in a battle, we have an enemy, and the battlefield is for our mind. And the, the interesting thing is in this passage, in, in verse four, it says that the champion Goliath is from the city of Gath. Now, uh, in the book of Joshua, it tells us that God actually promised the Israelites that they were going to take this specific city of Gath. That if they would actually just show up in some sort of force and go after that city, they would win. That was a promise that God made in Joshua. And as Joshua is lying on his deathbed in Joshua 13.3, he says, this hasn't yet been done. I need you to go and I need you to take out these cities. And Gath was on the list of these cities. These were all Philistine cities that David's forefathers didn't actually follow through and did not take out those cities. So one of the interesting points here is the fact that David and Israel, as they're gathering up here in this battlefield, they're, they're gathering against an enemy that should have never existed, right? They're gathering against an enemy that should have been wiped out generations before this time. And I think most of us sitting here in the room can, uh, can really connect with that point. Many of us are handed, it doesn't matter how good our parents are, right? Many of us are handed an imperfect plate for our life, right? It's like our our parents give us things that they didn't intend to give us. My dad was a fantastic father, a great father, but he was handed a a plate that was full of anger. His his dad was... uh, he struggled with drinking and he would come home and he would, he would struggle with violence. And so my dad, after he became a believer, he improved on that and he lowered the intensity quite a bit. But sometimes his temper would flare up and he was never violent or anything like that. But I was handed this this plate where I had to deal with a temper, right? I had to deal with anger. There's, door, there's a door at my parents' house with a hole in it still that has my fist name on it right and it's like it's, it's still there and I have to look at it every time I go back home and see that that was me that did that this is something that you you might be dealing with as well you might have been handed a plate in life in which your parents your grandparents made decisions uh, that, that actually compromised where you are they made decisions that passed down alcoholism or anger or abuse or violence or who knows what other source of struggle that you're going through, materialism, greed, apathy maybe, maybe just a complete lack of patience. I don't know what it is, but we're all fighting a battle and it's a battlefield that's happening right here inside of our head. And the reason we're in this battlefield is because someone close to us didn't face their battle before us and it rolled into our life. So what we have to do here is that we actually have a responsibility on our shoulders, just like the Israelites of this day, as we're reading this story, had a responsibility on their shoulders to deal with the enemy that came into their life, to deal with the enemy that rolled into their turf. We all each get to deal with the enemy that rolls onto our battlefield. And the promise that God gives us is that our best days lie on the other side of that opposition. So it's time for us to stand up instead of rolling down and just letting it continue to defeat us, to lay down and retreat whenever we are faced into this opposition, not to be intimidated, not to let these things take us out of the game. So let's continue to read through verses eight eight through 11. Eight through 11 say this, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of the Israelites, why do you come out and line up for battle? for i am not a philistine and are you not a servant of Saul choose a man and have him come down to me if he is able to fight and kill me we will become your subjects but if i overcome him and kill him you will become our subjects and serve us then the philistine said this day i defy the armies of israel give me a man and i will fight each and we will fight each other On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I'm going to jump to verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So what we have here is that we have Saul and the Israelites sitting here. And they're on one side of the valley. And the Philistines are on the other side of the valley. And this war is taking an effect on them. They're 40 days they're in this battle. Now who is being tested in this battle, this, this, these, these 40 days? Who do you think should have gone out and fought against this Philistine in one-on-one combat? There's a champion, Goliath. Who's the man who stands a head and shoulders taller than every other Israelite and who has armor and who has a sword? Who is that guy? Yeah, we're being, the, the 40, 40 days, or the, the number 40 we see all throughout the scriptures, and it's a number for testing, right? And we even see this in the life of Jesus. When he goes out, he fasts for 40 days, and the enemy that we're talking about, the same enemy that fights against us, came at him with everything he had and tested Jesus for 40 days. And so we see this same number Here with Saul. 40 days, Saul is being tested. Saul, what are you going to do? You know the promises. God said, if you stand against this enemy, if you stand against these Philistines, if you go against the people of Gath, you will win. But there's this huge giant in the way, right? Are you going to go out? Well, it says that every day that the giant came out, they, what does it say? trembled in fear and were dismayed. Saul and all of the Israelites, this is where they were. Saul is being tested, and at the end of his testing, he's found wanting. And we should take special care to learn something from Saul here that we actually deal with our demons instead of just letting them fester, letting the wounds just continue to get worse. Instead, we should actually face them, come up against that opposition, and actually go out and fight our battle because on the other side of oppositions, that's where our highs, our ups are on the other side of opposition. That's what God promises us. And here's the deal is that even if we don't go out and fight, we still have to face the psychological impact of actually going out in battle. We may think we're in the middle of a battle, right? We, we may feel like we're in the middle of a battle, Like these Israelites felt like they were in battle because they were going out every morning and they were lining up on the battlefield and they were trembling in fear because they were looking at their enemy that looked stronger than them. But they weren't actually fighting a battle. They were just sitting there, watching this this Israel or this this uh, Philistine just defy them and to mock them. And they did it. he did it every day, two times a day. At the, the, the times of the sacrifices that were happening, there would have been a shofar, a horn that would have blown two times a day. And whenever the, the horn on the side of Israel blew, the, the giant came out and he says, your God has nothing. Look at me. Nobody can face me. Nobody can, can come out and, and actually beat me. If you came out, I would crush you. This is what this giant is saying. And they believed it. So even if you don't face your battles, you have to deal with the psychological effects. You might complain to your husband, to your friend, to whoever else, your wife, your coworkers, about that person, that coworker, that you don't get along with, but it's, you're not actually fighting the battle until you actually go and you go and talk with them and you, you talk to them about the issues that you're having with them. Like, that actually takes courage. That actually takes conquering your fears and overcoming the enemy that tells you that if you go talk to them, oh, they won't listen to me anyway. Oh, if I go talk to them, they're just going to get mad and they're going to walk away and they're going to leave in a huff. I may as well not even go because it's not going to have any product, right? Now, you can think that, but is that true? Well, we have an enemy, right? And his, his native language is deception. Deception. And the battlefield that we're fighting for is for our mind, right? So we have to decide what we're going to do. And Saul, he decided what he was going to do, and he was found wanting. And so we see a new character come on the scene, and this character is the person of David. And so if we want to find success, we see that Saul did not have success. But on the other side of opposition, David hit a high. And we want to learn from him about what he did, in order to find success on the other side of opposition. It actually comes through four conversations that David has, and we'll, we'll blow through these pretty quick. But uh, the secret to overcoming your opposition is this. The first one is to have... He, he Actually, the, the first conversation that David has is with uh, these just warriors. He comes out to bring his brother's food. He's been a shepherd in the fields. He's not even on the battlefield yet. And his dad sends him to go bring food to take care of his brothers. And he hears Goliath doing these taunts on the 40th day. And he goes, who is this guy that he defies, the armies of the living God? And so he starts talking with people around him. First Samuel 17, verse 23 says this, let's see. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out in front of his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to him, to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him, his family, from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now, David, here we have this first conversation that takes place. And David... Hears what's happening. right? he hears this conversation from Goliath, the, this taunt, and he starts asking around. And these guys, they see the size of their opposition, right? The first, com- the, the first conversation, every other person in this field has been sizing up their enemy, and they're telling David, Look how big this giant is. And because of their understanding of the problem, they actually run in fear, right? And David, doesn't run in fear. Instead, he starts asking a question. What, what's going to happen if if I go out and I kill this this giant that's taunting the armies of the living God? What, what will the king do for me? Well, you'll get to tax exemption and you'll get to marry the king's daughter and and all sorts of good things are going to happen for you. You'll get riches. Now, <clears throat> I think it's significant to realize that there's two different characters being sh- held up here. You have all the Israelites and Saul, right? And they're seeing the problem. The problem is Goliath, right? And it's a huge problem. And this is the same sort of thing that we deal with every day when we're fighting the battle for our mind, right? Is this, is that we see problems and the more we focus on those problems, the bigger the problems become right? And David didn't just focus on his problems. Instead, David had a vision of victory among the forecast of failure. We'll see later that David is, he he wasn't even on the battlefield. He wasn't supposed to be out there. He was a shepherd boy, right? We'll see in the next, one of the next conversations that Saul says that he is just a boy, and this Goliath has been killing people since he was a boy, Right? He, he is underestimated. He's, his forecast is failure, but David has a different vision. He's looking past the problem. He's looking all the way through the problem, and he's seeing what's going to happen on the other side for him if he actually conquers this enemy. And, and I, I would just like to encourage you to say that, man, if, if you're focusing on your problems and all the things that are issues coming into your life you're going to be paralyzed by fear it's just what happens your enemy wants you to believe that you cannot overcome your problems he wants what he wants you to do is he wants you to stop the fight before you get on the battlefield this is David isn't even out there fighting Goliath yet right he hasn't he hasn't stepped onto the battlefield this is a fight that has to happen in your mind before you even show up to fight He wants wants to paralyze you, and he wants to stop you before you even start. But God, he wants you to know that you're an overcomer. This is what David already believed. He had the knowledge that God was with him. He had spent his years as a shepherd cultivating his relationship with God, and he knew that God was with him wherever he went. Now, the interesting thing is that some of you out there are super logical and I, I commend you for that. That's uh, not me, but uh, you're, you're sitting here. If you're, if you're like the, these men of Israel and you look out and you see that there is apples to apples, the ratios just don't, meet, just don't match up. They outnumber us. They outclass us. They're bigger than us. They have better weaponry and they have better armor. They're, if we go out and we fight this battle, we're going to lose. And I want to just say that the enemy likes to use logic often to get us to not even start the battle. The enemy is very rational. And when you go out and you try to look at your problems with pure rationality, you cannot overcome. You cannot overcome your addiction. What Renee just talked about, thats not possible in his own power. Right? It's just not possible. You cannot heal your marriage. You cannot restore your relationship with your, your son or daughter that's estranged. It's just not possible. You cannot control all the factors that come into play to make that happen, right? The enemy wants to say, you're done. You can't ever make it happen. He wants to paralyze you with logic. But what God does is he actually gives us hope. And what hope is, is hope is vision. And what we need to do in order to come out on the other side of opposition successful is that we have to be able to outlast our enemy. And the way we outlast our enemy is that we see farther than him. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in, in chapter 6 verse 19 and 20 says that we have hope. It's like an anchor for our soul. And that hope, what it is, is, is that we have the, the, the Christ came and he actually interceded for us. And he took on sin so that we could have life. It actually says that he raised from the dead that proves the fact that we could have life. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead proves that not only are we going to rise again into a new life, but that we have hope for God to resurrect our soul. Isn't that good news? Yeah. That is the battlefield that the enemy doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know that God can actually raise your soul when everybody else says, no, it's not possible for you to overcome that. God's like, no, you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. That's the truth. So our second point of the four conversations is this. It's the conversation that David has with his brother Eliab. And the point is this, that the takeaway from the conversation is that we have to be selective on whose voice you give influence in your life. Let me read you the story. It's out of uh, the conversation, I guess, is out of 1 Samuel 17 verses 28 through 30. And it's, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he turned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You just want to come and get a little entertainment, David. Now what have I done, David said. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. We see here that David is being faced with his brother. Uh, And if you decide to face your opposition, here's the truth, is that you are going to rise up other people's insecurities. Their insecurities will flare. So why did, da- did Eliab think that David was full of pride? Can anybody tell me? <clears throat> I believe that, that Eliab conv- or convicted David of being full of pride because Eliab was full of pride. Right, it's his little brother that's showing up after he's been hiding behind a rock for 40 days. Who's actually asking questions and wondering who's going to go out? Maybe I'm going to go out. Who knows? He hears this whispering, and and this is just what happens. Um, you, who you are, is who you believe other people to be. So if you believe, if you are dishonest, right, you're going to believe other people. Are dishonest. If you are prideful, you're gonna believe other people are prideful, right? Who you are is who you're gonna believe other people to be, and that's what we see here with Eliab. So you have to be careful with who you give influence in your life. And, and in fact, uh, the, this is just good research out there. There's uh, research from Harvest Business Review that says the good, the best teams, the most successful teams, have at least six positive comments to one negative interaction when they're going through conflict. And John Gottman, the famous researcher on marriage, he, he says that even in the, in the midst of a marriage conflict, this isn't just any day-to-day thing, in the midst of marriage conflict, the marriages that actually find success are marriages that have at least five positive interactions to every one negative interaction. And so if you sit in your life and you have the voice of Eliab speaking in your head over and over and over again, and that's the voice that you're going to turn to and you're going to listen to, the enemy has already done his work of keeping you off the battlefield before you ever stepped onto it. Isn't that right? Like the, the battlefield is for your mind, right? And he wants to use deception to keep you from entering into it. What we need is we need someone with words of faith, someone with words of vision, someone who will speak words of God into the challenge of our life. That's who we need in the midst of our battle. That's who we need to have come and speak into us. And I just wanna say that this is a problem for everybody, but especially for you men out there. Men are the loneliest people in our country And I don't know how many times I've gone through counseling sessions where a man goes off the rails, goes into an affair, goes into some sort of crazy gambling or spending thing or whatever, and I ask him, okay, who in your life was there to speak into that? Who is there to help you correct course? And they're like, "There, uh, there wasn't anybody. Like we need each other, we need people to speak life, to speak our identity, to speak the truth into our life because they help us keep us on track. And so if you aren't connected, like you gotta be connected or else you're gonna let the enemy overrun your circuits and you're never gonna enter into battle. Third point is this, and it comes with the conversation with Saul. And in order to save time, I'm just gonna skip reading the scripture, but it says, uh, the point is this: that God's strategy. Follow God's strategy rather than someone else's schemes. Now, David goes in to have this conversation with Saul, and Saul looks at him and he says, "You can't have. You can't fight. You, you're, you're not big enough. You're not strong enough." And David says, "I've been tending my my father's sheep for years, and I've come against bear and I've come against lion." I've defeated them because I know that God is with me. He said, This this Goliath, he's nothing but the next bear or the next lion. I will take him out. And then Saul says, Well, you, you can go out, but you're not prepared. I need to I need to actually put some 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 armor on you. I need to put a helmet on you. And he does. David's like, This isn't me. This this isn't gonna work. I'm not used to this. And he takes him off and he goes out. And and this is just the, the normal thing is that when we go out and we start to face opposition, people are going to call into question our abilities and our strategy. It's just the truth. Was David qualified to go out and kill giants before he went out and killed Goliath? No. No. The only way you're qualified is if you've done it before, right? He wasn't qualified. Nobody knew whether or not he could do this job. But God did. Amen. Amen. God did, right? And so it's so key to know that we can't just listen to what other people are saying and and what their schemes are. They want to give us their suit of armor. They want to give us their strategy, but God's strategy is so much better, right? Than whatever strategy in which we got to let Him determine the strategy for our battle, right? It says in Isaiah 55 that His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are much higher than ours, His ways are much better than our ways. And so we have to tune into what He actually wants us to do and tune into what He wants us to do. Uh, the path that He has for us, He has a different kind of strategy than we have for our life. It's just the way that God works. I, I've I've been trying. We've been. I heard from God that we needed to sell our house up in Pullman. We had a, a house up there, Pullman, Washington, where we moved from, so we could be more generous. And it, it's we're actually we closed officially on Friday. Uh, it won't be funded until Monday, unfortunately. So I don't own the house anymore, but I don't have the money. So I don't know what the deal is. But it's interesting how just in the last month I've been I've been tempted about now that we're gonna have some money that God says, hey, be generous with this stuff. That I'm I'm being tempted about all the things I could buy. Right? It's like uh, the the ads pop up and you go, ooh, I could have new step sides for my pickup and. Uh, you know, all these things that you think I might need and, and it's just not God's way, right? God has a way that's so much different than our way. Our way is to think of security and safety and to put that armor on that's, that's big and it's a bubble and it protects us. But what really is security, right? Right? 1 Timothy 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain, but money, money is a trap that can actually make us fall into our harmful desires. It's, it's not necessarily a good thing. That's not what we're told when we swim in the water of our culture, right? It's not the, the way that our culture lives, but God's ways are not our ways. So we got to be careful to follow the strategy that he has rather than our own schemes or the schemes of other people. And the last point is this it's a conversation that he has with Goliath and it's this conversation that he comes up to Goliath and Goliath looks at him and he's like you're but a boy and you're coming at me with sticks what are you who is this person like i'm huge i'm massive you're this little thing what are you what can you do to me david says i'm not coming at you with sticks i'm coming at you in the name of the lord Almighty, the God of heaven's armies is coming at you right now, Goliath. And what we have to remember is that God's weakness is stronger than our strengths. And I think this is the most important point. And the point that we can't miss is the point, the other three points, uh, that the other three conversations hang on, is that David did not trust in his strength. David trusted and shouldered everything on God's promises he knew from the very beginning of this battle that he could win it because God had already told him he would if he stood out there. I believe if Saul would have gone out there and he would have fought Goliath, even though he was smaller and he, he, he was less formidable, he would have beat Goliath. But he, st- he stood in his fears, and David went out there and he slung his stone. And here's the thing is that we're all faced with the same sort of question. The only difference between Saul and David in this story is that Saul wasn't willing while David was. He was willing to go out and sling his stone. The question I have for you is, is that something you're willing to do? Mark was over here and he was doing his poem. He says, ding, ding, it's time to enter the ring. That's a good line. That's the question. Are we we going to enter the ring and sling our stone? Now David, David did all this because he heard this man defying the, the name of his living God. And I just want to say, if we're going to fight, if we're going to come on the other side, if we're going to find our highs that are on the other side of opposition, Life's ups are always on the other side of opposition. We actually kept it in. we got to face the battle that God has put in front of us. And sometimes when we actually start to live in such a way that we start to honor God, we start to look out for his ways, he's going to put more opposition in the middle of our way. Like David wasn't going out looking for this opposition, right? He wasn't going out trying to make a name for himself. He didn't step on the battlefield because... He thought, oh man, if I go out there, the name of David will become famous. He was worried about the name of his God being defamed. But here's the truth, is if we step out in honor of God in the midst of opposition, we do know that on the other side, every time he shows himself faithful, we're gonna experience life's highs again. Like he will take us... To a whole new level like he wants to take you to a place that you can't even imagine what he has planned for you the word of god says you 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 don't even know you you can't even dream about the good things that he wants to do with your life but what it's going to take to get there it's going to actually take you stepping into the ring and entering the battle let's take a minute and pray god we we just ask you today to come alongside us in the midst of our battle, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our addictions. Lord, the enemy has been ruling our mind. It's been ruling our hearts. And God, I I pray that you would help us to become overcomers. Lord, you you would speak the truth. Lord, you would allow these conversations that David had to speak who you are into our lives. Lord, I pray that we would actually trust Your promises, what you tell about us is what's actually true. God, what the enemy says is just going to try to stop us from taking the next level in our lives. Lord, these oppositions, they're not roadblocks. Lord, they're the gateway in which you're going to use to make us into the wonderful people that you have. Lord, the the amazing potential that you have for us, God, we do believe it's unlocked through these doorways of opposition. So God, I just pray for every person here that you would work powerfully in us, Lord. You'd help us. Lord, you'd give us the strength to believe in you. We pray this in your name. Amen.